0: as we consider Jonah's prayer inside the belly of the great fish, possibly a whale, um, I want to start off with my main point first. And just to kind of be clear of what what I want to get across as we kind of go through this prayer more closely. And it's simply this. God hears and responds to our desperate prayers. But yet, yet he wants more than that. Yet the Lord wants his people to develop a personal prayer life that brings them closer to their Father in heaven, into a growing relationship. In other words, if, if everything goes wrong in our life, and we're at that point where we don't know where else to turn, and we call out to God, we can know that our Father in heaven will hear our prayer, wherever we're at. Whatever's happened in our life, he, he wants us to, to give our desperate prayers to him, but, but he wants more than that for his people, right? He wants us to learn to talk to him. He wants us to develop a personal prayer life that leads us into to talking to him regularly, not just waiting until things get so desperate, then we have to. He wants us to build that ongoing relationship. So that's what I want to communicate this morning um, as we talk about prayer. And and I'm always interested when out of of secular Hollywood you get a film that has themes about religion and God. And um, there's one that came out in the 90s called Bruce Almighty. And I remember watching this a, a long time ago. It's a Jim Carrey movie. And it is crude at certain points, so just just know that going in. But it, nevertheless, it, it it does explore some thoughts about prayer and why prayer matters. And so the the gist of the movie is that Bruce is, um, and Jim Carrey uh, is complaining to God about all the things going wrong in his life, and so God, played by Morgan Freeman. Uh, Basically gives him his powers and says, Okay, you get to try. And so Bruce is given the powers of God, um, but he's also given them the responsibility to respond to the prayers of others. So he gets to figure out how he's going to answer all these prayers. And there's a, a, a scene where like he's hearing all these prayers and says, This isn't working. So he says, put them on post-it notes. And then All the prayers he hears covers his room, right? You see the picture, and says, "Well, that's not going to work." And they says, "All right, put them on a computer." So all the prayers then become like an Excel spreadsheet, and he starts going through them. And at first, he's reading them all, and says, "Oh, that's too much work." So they says, "Well, let's just say yes to them all." And so he clicks yes, and all the prayers are answered with devastating effects. Um, you find out that it, his, he's actually only responding to the city of Buffalo. It's based out of Buffalo. And so 40,000 people from Buffalo win the lottery, you know. Um, and that then by the end of the movie, there's riots in the street because all the, everything that got said yes to just leads to the social breakdown. Um, and, and what the thought is, like he's just responding, like I say, one, one city, even part of a city of of this and it's too much but the thought is we have a god who hears the prayers of seven billion people and it's not too much for him right he can listen and hear each one right god can still relate to seven billion people and yet hear the call of our hearts the desperate situation we're in and and he knows the right thing to do, right? He doesn't, he's willing to give that time and attention to everyone who calls out to him. He doesn't write anyone off. That's an amazing thought, that God can do that and does do that. So with that, let's go into Jonah's prayer when he's in a very desperate situation and he calls out to God. Um, what do we learn from this? So we're going to analyze, first we're going to analyze this prayer and then give thought to some principles of prayer that, that go along with it. But the first thing we need to note is Jonah had stopped praying. So Jonah is a prophet. He's a prophet in Israel. He, his job is to talk to God and bear God's message. But when God gave him the message to go to Nineveh with, the, with his message, Jonah says, nope, I don't want to do that. And it says, Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord. And instead of going east to Nineveh, he gets on a ship and goes as far west as he could possibly go. God will not let his prophet um, get away with that. And so God sends a tempest that, that stops the ship. Eventually, the, the the mariners have to toss Jonah overboard. But actually, before that, though, when, when the ship is facing the storm, all the, the mariners, they pray. Right, They call out to their gods, but not Jonah. He goes underneath in the hold and, and goes to sleep. And when the captain says, why don't you call out to your God? Jonah says nothing. He will not pray. Later, they're casting lots to find out who's responsible. Who, who are the gods angry at that this is happening? Jonah, as a prophet, could just ask. But he doesn't do it. He's not praying. Um, when the, the lots reveal it's him and they say, you know, you know, what should we do to make the storm stop? Jonah could have prayed and asked for God to have it stop, but Jonah refuses to pray. In fact, he would rather die than pray and says, throw me overboard. That'll make it stop. And then interestingly, the, the pagan Baal worshiping sail, sailors, the mariners, they end up the end of chapter 1 they end up praying to Yahweh the Lord like they'll pray but Jonah still will not and Jonah thinks okay fine i'll just die right i'll drown in the ocean and that'll be the end of it <laughs> god's not going to let him off that easy so what does he do he sends the great fish we maybe a whale to swallow up his prophet so Jonah does not die god saves his life and um and there's Jonah inside the belly of the whale and finally God breaks breaks his stubbornness and Jonah relents and then he begins to finally pray so that's that's what we read this morning um, God says to Jonah I'm not letting you off the hook get it you know, hook I'm gonna reel you in so dedicate that one to, to Pastor Phil um, So Jonah relents and prays, and so let's look at his prayer. First of all, he prays about his situation, which is normal. Some of the parts of the prayer have to do with what he's facing. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. He's in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea somewhere. The water's closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds are wrapped about my head. So, So some of the prayer is just reciting the situation that he's facing um, and then there's he affirms his his hope in God he believes that God will answer and respond to his prayer and he expresses confidence in God's salvation so it says "I called out of out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me he believes God can hear him even, even as he's in inside the whale he um, says, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Even though he's speaking inside the whale, he believes the prayer could rise to where God is in God's holy temple. Um, it, later, he expresses that confidence that God will answer. He ends his prayer with, salvation belongs to the, to the Lord. So the, the, there's that affirmation of hope and confidence in God's, God's answer. But there's some missing elements in this prayer as I I analyzed it and thought it further. Let me just cite a few. One is Jonah never owns up to his disobedience. Nowhere in the prayer does he acknowledge that he was running from God or refusing to follow God. Um, Another thing that's missing, an actual request. Jonah does not like ask God to do anything. To, he doesn't make clear like what he wants God to do. What would an answer to prayer even look like? It's just more of an expectation that God's going to do it. And the third thing that's missing is humility. Um, there's this, this line that, that's, I think, when I, the more I thought about it, where it says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So he disses those who worship idols. Well, we looked last week about how the idol-worshiping sailors were actually more honorable than he was. And he was the one that was out of tune with God. They end up worshiping God in the end. And it just seems odd that Jonah would almost like take a shot at at those idol worshippers, in the middle of his prayer. Um, and then there's some other odd things in this prayer. He talks about being in the belly of Sheol, which is like the Hebrew for the grave. Well, but really he's in the belly of a fish. So maybe he's being metaphorical. The fish is going to be like his grave. Okay. Um, another thing, it's a, he says of the Lord. You cast me into the sea. Well, who, who did cast Jonah into the sea? It was the sailors, the mariners, when Jonah told them to. Um, so it wasn't quite the Lord who did that. So it's not quite right. I guess you could say God engineered it all. Um, and the, the third thing it says he was driven from the sight of the Lord. Well, that's not true. He chose to run from God. God did not drive him away. So there's these odd things that just don't fit Jonah's actual situation. And then, as the, I analyze the prayer, there's, there's, a, there's some echoes from the Psalms. One of them jumped out to me because one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 42. And when I saw what Jonah said it, 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 right away. So Psalm 42 says, all your, your waves and your breakers have gone over me where Jonah says, all your waves and your billows passed over me. So it's like he's sort of quoting one of the Psalms. And then there's another another one where salvation belongs to the Lord is a a quote from Psalm 3. And there's a, a few other of those. Psalm 69 says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. And Jonah says something very similar to that. Now, that all makes sense, but just here's what I've I've sort of started to wonder is Jonah just sort of throwing out religious phrases he's heard before is he he is it possible that this man who is a religious professional doesn't actually know how to pray and he's just sort of um, he he, he's just sort of saying things because he's heard other people pray And he's read the Psalms, and he kind of knows them, and he's so desperate, he cobbles together bits of things that he's heard, and he starts throwing out religious cliches, um, hoping that God will hear. I've always wondered if maybe Jonah had never established that relationship with God where he can just talk to the Lord. And now when he's in a desperate spot, he knows he should be talking to God. And he he just doesn't know how to do it. So that's what you get with the Jonah 2 prayer. Um, It is possible to be a religious person and not really know how to talk to God. And not really have that relationship with God as a father. Um, And here's one last thing. I mean, that's sort of what I've come to think about Jonah's prayer. What is What did the Lord think about, what does God think about Jonah's prayer? Does God give any clue to how he feels about Jonah's prayer? To how he received it? What happens immediately after Jonah prays? And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Is that any clue to what God is doing? Might it be an indication of how God felt about Jonah's prayer that it made him want to vomit, and so he he uh, just said, "Had the fish do it for him." I don't know. I I've done this before, and not everyone's persuaded. So some people find the prayer very very faithful and beautiful. Others, I still I I think it's kind of a fishy prayer. So um, with that, what is what does God want to know us to know about prayer? What what might role might prayer play in our life? And so I'm, I'm kind of some different categories of prayer. I call the modes of prayer that there's different truths because not every prayer is kind of the same category. And so we're starting with desperate prayer, like Jonah's prayer inside the fish. And the first thing to know is God hears and responds to desperate prayers. He wants us to come to him when life falls apart and we have nowhere else to turn. He is the right one to turn to. Psalm 102, we did those prayers at the start of our service. um, It says, he will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Right? He wants us to come to him with our pleas, our, our, our requests when everything falls apart, when we're destitute. Uh, Romans ten thirteen 13, important verse. Um, it says, those um, for, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God is looking for us to turn to him and call upon him. God is not looking for reasons to say no. And it's not about whether we deserve it or not. Um, God wants to, to lead us to salvation. He wants to ultimately lead us to eternal salvation, not just the, the salvation sometimes we're looking for in the moment, the rescue. Ultimately, he wants to lead us to eternal salvation. But everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He does hear us in those moments. And, and I think this includes people who don't know that much about God. Right? This is... the it's not that you have to have it all together before you can call out to God. It's not that you have to, to know everything about God and have a, a grounded theology, that, th- that that word is for those who maybe have some wrong ideas about God, who've never learned about him. Um, and that's why if you go further in Romans 10, it talks about, and how do they come to believe in him? How do they, how do they put their faith to call out to him? It says, and, and blessed are those who, who, who proclaim the good news. Blessed are those who, who go out with the message about God so that people know who they can turn to. Desperate prayers. Um, and I believe that when, the, when someone calls out in their heart, ultimately what God will likely do is lead them to a place where they hear the gospel message. Lead them to a situation where they hear the truth proclaimed so they know who they're calling out to. It could even be, friends, that, that some here wandered in this morning and life has fallen apart and you're not sure what to do. What does God want you to know? He wants you to understand that, that God so loved you and all of us that he sent his son Jesus into the world, the son of God, so that we can, be, we can have his salvation. That's the starting point for, for getting God's answer to what's going wrong in our life, is knowing who Jesus is and what he's done for us so that we can experience the salvation, eternal salvation that he wants to bring into our life. That's the, the, the desperate prayer can lead us ultimately to the, the true and only Savior. And if, if you're here this morning and maybe you, this is new to you, I just, I just encourage you, don't, don't stop seeking. Seek and learn more. Talk to one of the, um, maybe someone you know who's strong in their faith, who, who knows Jesus. Feel free to talk to me or one of the elders of this church, and we can help you find what God is, is, has to say to your life. He hears our desperate prayers. Another kind of prayer he hears, though, is our broken prayers. Our prayers that we do when we realize that we have blown it and we have sinned and we are not right. Psalm 51 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Meaning, the sacrifice we can bring to God is, is realizing our brokenness, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God knows our hearts. He knows the worst thing you've done. He knows the worst thing that's crossed into your mind. And He loves you anyways. He knows the the evilness that can arise out of us. When all others would turn away from us, God is merciful. And we don't have to get it all together before we come to Him. At your worst moment, the right place to turn is to the Lord is to the Lord as we know him, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus told a parable about two guys that came to pray. One of them prayed self-righteously because he knew he had it all together. He didn't, but he thought he did. He says the other was a tax collector who no one liked and who knew he had messed up. And he says, Lord, he says he prayed, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus in his story says that's the one whose prayer God heard. That's the one who received mercy from God. He hears and receives our broken prayers. And then there's another mode of prayer called wish prayer. And this is what the Bruce Almighty movie got me thinking about. Wish prayers are are things that are kind of directed out, like, oh, I wish this would happen in my life. You don't even know who you're praying to. You're sort of throwing out this hope, and and it's something you wish would happen, but you don't know where to, to aim that wish. You don't know God well enough to, to direct it. One of the verses we read earlier was Jeremiah 29, 12. And it says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. God wants us to direct our prayers towards Him, towards the Lord. And not just wish it out to the universe. He wants to ultimately lead us so that we know Him. And, and gain that that, that that connection with Him. That's the, the things that go wrong in our life have the potential to lead us closer to the God who loves us. But we've got to get beyond wish prayers and start to get towards what I call seeking prayer. So... The next verse in Jeremiah twenty-nine, he says, "You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart." So we may start with just a generalized, "I need help. Something's wrong. I don't even know who to aim it to." When when that desire gets turned towards seeking the Lord, seeking His answer, um, prayer is about seeking and finding God, not manipulating God to get your wish granted. And sometimes you have to go through all the other possibilities and realize realize those things can't meet what you need deep down. You realize there's other things that you've been trusting in are not worthy of your trust. And then you say, I I know where I need to turn. I know now I need to seek him. Another parable that Jesus told was about the prodigal son. And it's about a, a son who said, Father, I don't need you. I, I don't want to live with you anymore. I want to go live life my way. And the father gave him his inheritance early. And the, it says the son went far away and spent all he had in wild living. And that's a picture of what, what we all do in sin, right? We say, God, I, I want to live life my way. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to live under your rules, under your roof. But then it says the son realizing after a time when he had spent everything that the life he had chosen wasn't, wasn't doing it. It was not what he had pictured. And there's just one line that says, when he had come to his senses, he knew life was found back with his father. And so he left the faraway country and began to seek back the father who he left long ago when you seek me you will find me because you'll seek me with all of your heart when we come to our senses and realize he's the one we've been looking for all along directed prayer seeking prayer another mode of prayer though that Jesus invites us to is secret prayer or you could just say personal prayer in Matthew 6 Jesus said and when you pray you know, don't, don't pray to be seen by men, to, to get a bunch of attention. Find a private place. Just go into your closet. Go into your closet and pray to your father who sees what you're doing in secret. And you know what? Then you'll get your reward. Because you, it'll be just you and your father talking. Find your quiet spot and do business with God. sometimes, to really pray, we need to get alone. We need to get away from the distractions, get away from the noise, get away from the things that, that get in the way between us and God. I, when I was living in an apartment as a young man, I, I sometimes just had to get out of my apartment to, to find that spot. And there was a cemetery behind my, my apartment and it was actually locked up most of the time. But I, I basically I took a big mug of coffee, I hopped the fence And found that was the perfect place for me to to pray to God, is that that little cemetery. Um, Do you have a spot where you can do business with God, to be alone with Him? Secret prayer. Um, Along with that, God is looking for honest prayer. You know, He he wants us to open up our hearts to Him. And I think we can do that when we're not trying to impress others. Jesus said about the, the... The religious leaders of his day, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He wants us to get honest with him about what's going on in our life. And that takes time. That takes really getting past all the surface things and bringing to him what's going on in our life. Give God the time. Get alone with your father. Along with secret prayer, he invites us to pray simply, simple prayer. He says, you know, don't, don't try to impress God with all your words. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Instead, try to bring it down to the simple focus of what's going on in your life. Talk to God about how you're feeling or what you're doing um, Sometimes I I do this exercise when we're praying as our staff team or in other situations. I say put your prayer in one sentence. You know, what is it you really want to see God do? Put it in one sentence. Um, It's hard to do. Harder than you think. He wants us to make simple requests. There was a I mean, in this say, think about what you actually want God to do, and ask Him to do it. I, I remember a woman that came to me once at a previous church who was going through a lot of stuff. She was homeless, life was a mess, all kinds of things. And and she came, and I, I was trying to respond to her as a pastor, and says, "Well, what do you want me to do?" And she couldn't put it in a request. She just she just wanted me to fix everything, right? Think about, and I I just said, I can't fix everything in your life. What what can I actually do for you? Well, what would you actually ask God to do? Pray in a way that you actually know if God answered your prayer. Now, it could be that God says no to your answer, to your prayer. He's allowed to. He's God. You you can't obligate him into answering your prayer. Um, But but you should know if he did or not, right? Ask him to do it and see what happens. Um, He knows best. Ask with confidence. Jesus says, you know, you, you can, whatever you pray, believe you've received it, and, and he'll do it. Ask with the confidence that, that you're praying in Jesus' name, but not ask with presumptuousness that you could somehow claim it as if God owes you an answer to that prayer. And then Jesus also talked about prayer is make sure you're not praying just for your stuff, what you need. He says, seek first the things of the kingdom. Are you praying for God's kingdom to advance on earth? Or are you just constantly bringing to God everything you need? He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all those things you need, they'll happen as well. All They'll be given to you as well. We're also called to pray when we're anxious. When the anxieties and worries of life are stealing from us the joy of, that we're meant to walk in, the Lord invites us to bring whatever fears we have about the future, whatever things I, I, I need to do this all the time. Like the, the anxiety just sometimes hits and sometimes you can't even define it, right? You just know you feel afraid of the future and you, you're not even sure what it is. And so Philippians 4, um, let me read it. I don't have it. So uh, Philippians 4. There you go, there you Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Thank you. I knew I, if I got started I could do it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, make your request to God, right? When anxiety hits, bring it to the Lord. When fear is overwhelming, trust in him. Ask him. And even if he doesn't answer the prayer the way you want him to answer it, I love this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because we're in Christ, whatever we face, we're good. We're at peace in him. And that's the promise of anxious prayer. Prayer is is meant to lead us closer to our Father in heaven. Um, When Jesus said, when you pray, who do you pray to? Pray to your Father who art in heaven, right? It's learning to turn to God and having this ongoing conversation. I love this picture. It's this, you know, Hollywood wants to convince you that prayer is about getting God to do what you want him to do. No, prayer is this. Prayer is learning to walk with God. We enter the kingdom as a little child. Now, we, we grow in faith and love and, and become more than just a little child, but that's how we start, and that's how we start learning to pray. Um, we learn to trust his leading. We learn to trust him with the things in our life. We learn to listen to what, what he needs to say into us. Prayer is walking with God, knowing he's there even when he can't see him or see what he's doing. Prayer is trusting that he's leading you when the way isn't always clear. Prayer is learning to know and love your father. One of the things I love, even though we're talking today about a personal prayer life, is that we don't completely do it alone. In fact, that's why I believe he calls us together as a church congregation. We are learning together how to follow our Lord. How to walk with God like that. How to have that kind of relationship. We can learn how to pray from one another. And we can learn by praying together. And Jesus gave us a practice that, that helps us um, know that he's with us together as a body of believers. And we call that the, the Lord's Supper. And in a minute, we're going we're gonna to do that. He's, he calls us into this community And he declares, I am with you always, forever. And so we learn from one another and we learn together how to to draw near to our God. And one of the places we do that is here as we share in the Lord's presence as a body of believers. And to finish with one last mode of prayer, he said, before you come, do one thing. He says, examine yourselves before you come and receive. And, and think about the things in your life, the heart issues that are going on in your life. Think about whether you, there is sin that has creeped into your, your day-to-day life. Examine yourselves. Seek the Lord with all your heart. Seek his grace and forgiveness. One kind of exam or prayer is, I call heart exam prayer. It's Psalm 139 where it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So before we come to communion, I want us to do that, that very thing. I want us to invite God individually to search our hearts. And we'll have a time of silent prayer know going in that there's nothing you've done that your father doesn't already know about and is not ready to forgive, but he wants you and me to own up to it first. So let's invite God to do that heart exam and to to lead us forward in his grace. So time of silent prayer. Let's pray to God before we enter into communion.